Good afternoon. My name is Keith, and I'll be your conference operator today. Welcome to the Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies Beltway Briefing Series, The Road to the 2018 Midterm Elections. Our speakers today are Howard Schweitzer, Managing Partner, and Mark Alderman, Chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. This recording will also be available after the call at copublicstrategies.com, as well as on iTunes and SoundCloud by searching for Cozen O'Connor. To submit live questions, please email presidentialanalysis at cozen.com. Thank you very much, and thanks, everybody. It's Blake Rutherford here. We um, are back uh, after a, a what seemed like a very long summer hiatus, but in fact was a short summer hiatus, um, with our Road to the 28 Midterms uh, series of of calls and podcasts. I'm joined, as always, by Mark Alderman, the chairman of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies, and Howard Schweitzer, the managing partner of Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies. Gentlemen, I'm glad that you came back from summer vacation. It's a pleasure to be with both of you. Thanks, Um, A little surprised that I myself uh, came back. But um, lots to discuss. There has been uh, a number of important developments um, and I think the, the place to begin is, is really what happened last night um, in Arizona and Florida. These are two truly battleground states um, in the 2018 midterms. There are two Senate races in both states um, that presented all sorts of fascinating dynamics, both leading up to primary day, and then now with the general election matchups, I want to unpack those. We've got a gubernatorial race in both states um, that also presents some fascinating dynamics. I want to, I want to unpack those uh, with you, and, and then we'll look at the map more broadly. Um, we're seeing lots of movement around the country, some advantaging Republicans, other, others advantaging the Democrats. Um, and I think this is this is going to be a uh, fast and furious race to the finish, Mark. I want to I want to start with you. Um, let's start in Florida. Um, last night we we saw on the gubernatorial side um, really the the sort of liberal uh, Bernie Sanders, Tom Steyer, George Soros wing of the party prevail in the gubernatorial primary, and then once again. <coughs> Um, proving that that Trump is a huge factor in Republican primaries, um, the the very pro-Trump candidate prevail in Florida. What do you make of of, of those dynamics and and how it shapes up um, for both parties? Well, I think Blake that you got to look everywhere last night to see if you can what's going on, starting with Florida for sure. But really the the prevailing political winds are blowing every which way uh, around this country. In Florida, Trump took an unknown and made him the Republican nominee for governor. That is consequential and is further confirmation that it is his party, period, On the Democratic side, a surprise and a progressive beating the establishment, if you will, although 
narrowly and and a three-way race and and a good candidate uh, uh, our nominee but then you go to Arizona as you mentioned and on the Republican side you see the opposite where the establishment uh, Republican nominee uh, for Senate won over two hardcore Trump supporters and the establishment prevailed in the most important congressional primary out there on the Democratic side. It's the primary for McSally's seat, in fact, the Republican nominee for Senate seat. And the establishment candidate beat the progressive there. So I'm, I'm having trouble seeing any clear trend in any of this. Candidates well, matter, and all politics are local. Howard, what what do you think? Well, I think it's interesting, first of all, that Mark said that Trump made the Republican the candidate, but he didn't say that Bernie Sanders made the Democrat the <laughs> candidate for governor because Bernie weighed in there. Teed, um, teed that one up. Yeah. So um, primary the, – look, the primary system, Blake and Mark, is set up to make it more likely – that candidates that are more on the fringe prevail. And I, I, we've seen that multiple places. We've seen it in New York with Joe Crowley losing. We saw it last night in Florida. It doesn't mean that um, the Arizona race where you had more establishment candidates prevail. It doesn't mean that, that the primary um, system didn't play a role there. It just means that it wasn't enough of a role. And I think primaries are said the way primaries go is less people turn out. So the more you can fire up the people that are more likely to turn out who are on the fringes, the more likely you're going to get a fringe candidate. And that's what happened last night in Florida. It's what's wrong with our political system right now most fundamentally. Yeah, let's, I want to come back to that because I, I do think that you, you raise a, a, a very interesting, interesting point about, about whether, whether we're doing a good job presenting candidates that are actually representative or whether we're whether we're this is now just a base play and fling the base and yeah um and I think and it is. out and, and i think it's interesting i want to come back and talk about that in the context of some of the reforms we're seeing um you know on the D, from the dnc in terms mm-hmm. of in terms of um the con, the 2020 convention and mm-hmm. and what that relates to but mark come back to arizona because you know something that i think we have to we do have to acknowledge is that Martha McSally got the benefit of two Trump no friends candidates in in a primary? She she did not get she received a plurality of uh, of the votes. She did not receive a majority of the votes. If that race were one on one, I'm not sure that that she's the nominee. Um, and well, that, so I do that's think fair. And also, Blake uh, Trump. Trump owns the Republican Party, period, period, period. He drove Martha McSally hard right, yeah. hard towards him in her position. She is a longtime congresswoman, very respected and and very consistent in her centrist views until she had to run in the age of Trump. And she took a hard right turn and you're right. She came out oh, wait, only because there were two guys to the right of her. 
Well, no, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta edit myself because she ended up getting. I, I was thinking about numbers before before some precincts came at the end. So maybe maybe she's a stronger candidate than I think because Sheriff Joe and well, Kelly Ward only ended up with about forty six, forty maybe forty eight percent of the vote. So so I'm gonna right. edit myself. But and, it's close. But it's close. I mean, my point is it's close. So even if I'm I am wrong, which I I'm constantly wrong in our podcast, but um, but even still an interesting dynamic about how to unite the the 48% who didn't see her as Trump enough, I guess, is, is, right. is a worthwhile right. conversation to have. Well, and you have an interesting appointment coming up in Arizona uh, with Senator McCain's death, and the governor is going to have to do what Martha McSally just did. He's going to have to figure out how to accommodate Trump and that irreducible core of support that Trump has, while at the same time not losing the middle, which is where he's made a career. Yeah, and, and on the Democratic side, that, that matchup, the Democrats nominated Kirsten Sinema. Um, she won the primary overwhelmingly um, strong centrist Democratic candidate. Um, you know, Arizona's, it, it may be, come, come election night this November, the, um, the state that perhaps maybe next to Texas we're staying up the latest for to see whether the Democrats have any shot to capture the Senate. I know you are, you are still uh, pessimistic about that, Mark. Um, but let's pivot back to Florida because we have a titanic Senate race um, that will take place there between incumbent Bill Nelson who ran unopposed in his primary versus um, Rick Scott, uh, the governor. And that race is going to have all sorts of interesting dynamics to it. Um, what do you, Howard, what do you make of, of that Florida, Florida Senate race dynamic in light of what we saw in the gubernatorial primary on both sides? I, I mean, look, at the end of the day, it's the independents that decide elections, and obviously Florida can swing um, in, in either direction, so I think that's, that's going to be the case there as well. I think, uh, I don't, so I don't, Blake, I don't make much of the, the Senate race in light of last night's results. They were primary results, to my point earlier. I think the general is much different. I think there are two strong candidates. Nelson is highly vulnerable. Rick Scott obviously has significant name recognition and, and money. money. Yeah. And um, if the Democrats want to stand a chance of taking the United States Senate, which I think they actually do have a chance to, to do, mm -hmm. uh, Nelson had better hold that seat yeah. or it's a, it's a goner. Um, and I don't think that he necessarily enjoys the the strongest um, likability favorability ratings on on the home front, but in a wave election in which the Democrats are going to turn more people out to the polls than the Republicans, I think I believe that um, you know he has a very good chance of pulling it out. Mark, I I think that you know the other race that that is beginning to, to capture more national attention, a race that we haven't talked about as much here is the Texas Senate race. 
involving Ted Cruz and Beto O'Rourke. And polling there basically shows it a statistical dead heat. O'Rourke is about as prolific in online fundraising as Bernie proved to be. It's really pretty remarkable how much money he's able to raise online. He's been blessed by, I think, some very, very favorable dynamics, some trends in that state. But a Democrat is not one statewide in Texas in almost my lifetime, which is saying something. Mark, do you... Do you, read, do you read a lot into that race at, at this point? Is it still, I mean, how much, let me ask the question a different way. How much, how much credence do you give to those tightening poll numbers at this point? Well, I think it's a real race. I don't give much credence to the polls in particular. I do give a lot of credence to the fact that Texas is someday soon going to elect a statewide uh, Democrat again because of demographics. I think there's a a danger, which Hillary Clinton proved once again in, in chasing fool's gold. Texas was a place that she thought she had a chance of, of winning and actually spent time and money that would have been much better spent in Pennsylvania or Michigan or Wisconsin. But but sooner or later, demographics are going to push a Democrat over the line. I just don't know that it's this year. We have a great candidate. Beto is a mm-hmm. great candidate. But, but Ted Cruz uh, is formidable. And he, it's going to take that wave that Howard was just talking about to carry – somebody like uh, O'Rourke over Cruz in Texas, I think. I want to, I want to, yeah, Howard, I'm going to give you a chance well, to weigh in on Texas. Well, I'm actually, uh, you know, I, I, look, Cruz is not well liked. We'll see, we'll see what happens. I think there are a couple of other interesting races out there. Tennessee, for example. Yep. A couple of below the radar races, Tennessee and New Jersey, um, that people are assuming are going to go, Um, in Tennessee's case for the Republican, in New Jersey's case for the Democrats, that I think both have the potential to go the other way. Mm. Um, In Tennessee, you've got former governor versus a current member of Congress, Marsha Blackburn (coughs) being the current member of Congress, Brett is in, uh, former governor on the Democratic side. He's very popular. She is an effective member of Congress, but I don't think as good of a candidate as he is. You know, Trump's approval ratings are, are uh, plus 13 in Tennessee. Um, he won by 26 points in 2016. But if you look at some of the ratings that are out there, that race is rated a toss-up, and I think could absolutely go in the Democratic column. And polling at this point shows that a statistical dead heat as well. Yeah. They're- hovering both in the, you know, anywhere from 44 to 48, depending on which poll you look at. So it flips in and around with a plus or minus margin of error of about four. So it's a, it's a dead heat if you yeah. believe the polls. And right. that, that always comes with a, with a be careful how much you yeah. believe the polls. But. It doesn't come with a grain of salt. It comes with a <laughs> jar of more salt. Yeah, right. right. Um, and New Jersey, you've got a, a Democratic incumbent, uh, not popular, weak, um, flawed, <laughs> not in jail, but 
Um, it is New Jersey. It's, hey, careful, <laughs> careful. That's my that's my home state. But but flawed. And there's a lot of buzz from my friends back home who think that Menendez could could lose. In fact, the greatest concern there is that Trump starts tweeting about the fact that um, he could lose and and mobilizes more Democrats to come out because people yeah. are not motivated to go to the polls yeah. for Bob Menendez, and that race could go the other way. And, and New Jersey, New Jersey elects well, Republicans. I, I mean, yeah, I think tried it's, it's what Mark said earlier. All politics is yeah. local. Candidates yeah. matter. Issues matter. Issues like health care, they matter. And um, so it's, it's not take, and not everything is nationalized. Is the but point. it is going to take a lot of ballot splitting in New Jersey for Menendez to lose because of what's going on below him on the ticket. The candidates for Congress on the Democratic side are very strong. They're going to be three, four districts, I bet, that go red to blue. And the turnout in those races is going to be very heavy on our side. It's going to take a lot of ballot splitting for people to reject Menendez. Now, now New Jersey has done it before, and, yeah. and you could see it. But with a very popular governor and very strong congressional candidates, I, I think they're going to carry Menendez over. But the very fact that we're talking about that as a vulnerability, it, it, that the road to control of the, the point. Senate for the Democrats is just so steep. That, but, but it's not that. It's, that. it's not that, Mark. It's that it's what you said. Candidates matter. The yeah. local dynamics matter. It's not you can't paint with a broad brush. Well, and and I do I do want to sort of jump in a little bit because one of the things that we are starting to see, if you if you rewind the clock to kind of when we began talking about the midterms, you know, we were talking about Indiana where Joe Donnelly has built a double digit lead. We were talking about Missouri where Claire McCaskill was down double digits and now is in a dead heat. We were talking about North Dakota. We were talking about, and now we're talking about potentially Republicans capturing New Jersey and we're now to Texas. This map is moving around on us in a really interesting fashion to, to the point of, I don't think you can extrapolate much from it from a national perspective. I think to do so is, is, is either sophomoric or just outright nuts. But I am I am truly truly fascinated by the dynamics building in in a lot of these states. And one of the things I do want to say about New Jersey, which is which may may have some relevance, is whether people are just done with all this corruption stuff, and are they are voters just if they look around at everything that's happening on a national perspective, do they just say you know what? I'm done with I'm done with corruption, the appearance of corruption, and does that work against Menendez in in this race? I don't know if it's enough, but or, or is, is, the, is the electorate just sort of like uh, I just want it out? I don't know. People are done with politics well, as usual. It's why Donald Trump got elected president of the United States. It's yeah. why Bernie Sanders has the following he has. People are sick and tired of politics in the ordinary course, and whether that's embodied by Bob Menendez 
or it's embodied by somebody else. That's what people on both sides of the aisle, people everywhere are are rebelling against, no. and, and that's the that's the fundamental strain running through our national politics. And, and okay, if that is the if that is the dominant feature of the midterm elections, the Democrats will take back the House, will win a number of governorships, and don't right. have a prayer yeah. in the Senate. That right being, because. Yeah, right. That, you're right. Throw the bums out is good for Democrats in the House, bad in the Senate, good for Democrats in the governor's races. But but I, I I'll come back to and it's and it's again something that I just I struggle with. So you guys can unpack it for me. Doesn't it depend on who the bum is? Because if you look at the Rust Belt, for example, states where Donald Trump won, where this message really resonated. Mark, your friend Bob Casey is, seems to be on cruise control. Tammy Baldwin in Wisconsin, on cruise control. Debbie Stabenow in Michigan, on cruise control. I mean, that, those places where that, that, yep. that Trump, we've really got to change the economic dynamic by inserting someone disruptive, and I mean that in the context of how we would how we talk about disruption in business. Right. Disruptors, right. Yeah, disruptors. We're not seeing that in the places where that was so profound, set aside Hillary's, you know, just right. mistake after mistake after mistake in those places. I mean, what do you make of that, Mark? Well, candidates matter, and all politics is local. We keep circling. <laughs> okay. I've heard that before. Right. Okay. I've heard it before. <laughs> this but, yeah, we keep, we no, keep circling back. But I, I want to amend something you said. Do not curse our friend Bob with cruise control, okay? I all said he appears to be. All of these candidates are running scared for their lives because yeah. of what we saw in 2016. But but I, I do think I, I accept the premise that, that this map is moving all around. And I just want, I, I keep saying governors, 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 because governors matter. And, yeah. and the map for Democrats, as you well know, Blake, from our DGA time together, the map mm-hmm. is much more favorable there. Even in crazy places like Kansas and and Oklahoma, yeah. where there, right. there are credible Democratic challenges at the gubernatorial level, where the Senate and House races are double digits gone. But but Blake, on your point, your question, it does matter who the bums are. Like, yeah. Look at Joe Donnelly. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, Mark's home state of Indiana. Mark's home state, the home state of our colleague Evan Bayh. Yep. yep. Um, but but Senator Donnelly, he voted um, to confirm Neil Gorsuch to the United States Supreme Court. He voted to confirm Azar as the Secretary of Health and Human Services. He is um, he's voting the way his constituents want him to vote. And on, on key votes, he's going to vote to confirm Kavanaugh, yeah. I, I believe, oh, because yeah. it's good for his reelection, mm-hmm. and 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 because it's what his constituents want. Yeah. And so it depends what they're doing. Yeah. It's not party line stuff. Joe Manchin, the yeah. same thing. Yeah, and Joe Manchin's built it. You know, uh, again, take it with with a bucket of salt. But I mean, 
you know, the latest polls out of West Virginia have Manchin up 10, and he's not running against uh, nobody. No, he's running he's against a state, eight, the state, state attorney, attorney general. general. A good candidate, mm-hmm. actually. Good candidate, yeah. But Manchin's a good candidate. Right. So. I just, I, I think all of that is is interesting. Um, we'll see. Uh, just to touch in on the House, Mark, I, I, Mark, I didn't mean to, to skip over the governors because I do think that map is, that map is, as you've said, and I think has been a theme of this is a place where you're, you 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 certainly will see the potential for Democrats not only to hold what they have but but to gain and in places where 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 it has the potential to to surprise um, surprise some folks and, and you certainly made a note of that in Kansas um, and Oklahoma um, I did want to touch in on the House briefly. Um, and again, so many races there there to unpack. You you noted an important one in Arizona, Mark. There are many in Florida too. Obviously, races in Pennsylvania, California, New York. Um, Nate Silver at 5:38 now has it that it's a 75% chance that the Democrats are taking the House. Where do you guys see that on a macro level at this point, Howard? I'll let you jump in first. These plus 40, yeah, 40 pick up 40 seats. And uh, we take the House, they need 24. Mark, what do you think about the House? Think of the election were held tomorrow, the Democrats would take control of the House. It could be 40 seats, it could be 25 seats, but you only need, you only need to win by one. And I do think that that's how it looks today. 70 days is a long time, but, but, I wouldn't put it at 75%, uh, but certainly Democrats are favored uh, in the House today. Actually, Mark, I want to disagree with you a little bit because the margin matters a lot in terms of who the next speaker is if the Democrats take the House and if the Republicans keep the House. Oh, yeah. Because it matters a lot. It's enormously consequential in terms of voting for, for the next speaker. It's and, not. Yeah. Yeah. And and then of no, course I, what the I agenda use, looks like as you head into 2020. Yeah. So. No, I um, I certainly well I agree with that. I was simply saying that if you win by one, you still have control of the house. If you win in the electoral college, you you win the presidency. But but in terms of what the 2020 consequences are of this midterm election, and we've talked about this before, uh, the. What happens in the House is hugely consequential. The margin, as you say, is hugely consequential because of who will be in the House for the next two right. years and who they will choose as a leader and what they will be doing. Well, and, and, and to that end, I think the, the, the delicate balance of, of both establishing, you know, and Howard, you've talked about this, sort of establishing um, – because you will pivot, you will begin to, the Democrats will need to start talking about national themes. We will get away from this, you know, all politics is local and all politics is, will become national and you will have jockeying um, for, for everything. How far to, and how far to go with investigating Trump, what policy, what bills to pass in order right. to start to communicate that agenda. And you're going to have to, I suspect, and we're starting to see this now, there's a, a friend of mine, Dave Katniss, who writes for U.S. News and World Report, but it's up on the Atlantic's website, has, this, has a great story about Bernie and Elizabeth Warren um, and they, you know, this notion of which one's going to run for president. 
and and sort of his off-the-record sources, which I, I know to be reliable, knowing David's, David's reporting caliber says, you know, once they sort, they're going to sort that out in the fall because one of them's in this race come January 2019. Um, so the presidential race is going to start in very short order um, and has the potential to uh, be very crowded for the Democrats, putting lots of pressure both on both on um, on the party as a whole, but also on the agenda, yeah. um, which which uh, as we're seeing with the Democratic Party, um, not a not a not necessarily a unified party. So that will be that'll be something to watch. And again, I think depending on depending on what the Speaker of the House decides to do to drive that agenda, because that's where you're going to see Democrats making progress. Mitch McConnell's not going to do anything. Um, if he still if he still has control of the Senate, other than trying to continue to con- confirm that's judges, a battle which, ahead for the yeah. soul of the Democratic right. Party. Well, I, I guess that's what I'm foreshadowing. Yeah, is, is that. there's a battle ahead, and um, <laughs> I think it's really really bad for Democrats if the battle comes down to Elizabeth Warren and, and Bernie Sanders. Oh, yeah, no. Really bad. Oh, sure it is. Yeah. Um, you yeah. might as well you might as well give Donald Trump the keys to the White House now. And no doubt about it. We're 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 we we predicted twenty twenty sixteen so well, but I think we can take that one to the bank. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, it's just, Mark, I want I didn't want to I didn't mean to cut you off. I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well you did a good job, so you accomplished the <laughs> objective. And all all I was gonna say is uh you just gotta remember where the presidential race was pre-midterm in the last three, four cycles. In 2008, at this point, which would have been 2006, 2008 cycle, nobody thought Barack Obama was going to be a candidate, let alone the president. In 2012, I'll remind you, on the Republican side, at this point in the cycle, Michelle Bachman was going to be president. And I I should have tested you because I'll bet you wouldn't have remembered her name. It's it's just (laughs) way too soon to think that this could be Bernie against Elizabeth. That that would be unfortunate, but that also ain't happening. Way too soon. Yeah, I I I think it's just the notion of this race is going to begin in earnest come January. And and the one thing that. The one thing that Barack Obama and Donald Trump have proven, the one thing that the last two cycles have proven, is that anybody in this country can be president. Yeah, well, so, uh, well, you're, we're going to run you, Mark, so we're going to see how it goes. I think okay, Donald Trump you, is... You're going to get that Nantucket vote. Right. Donald Trump is already... Far, I don't know if I can carry the island. It's going to be close. <laughs> Donald <laughs> Trump is, all, is already running in oh, yeah. 2020. Oh, Look sure. at an issue like health care, um, where the Democrats clearly have um, have had the upper hand since um, since Obama left office. Um, Trump's game on health care is drug pricing and opioids. Those are the areas from a policy point of view where he's trying to stake out ground politically and show that he's doing something positive and bring people back into the fold on, on health care. But those aren't 2018 issues. Those are 2020 issues. Yeah. The timing is such that they are intentionally 2020 issues. Well, so 
and, and not, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you, no. but to contrast that, depending on, and again, this is something I want to come back to, where the Democrats are going to have to do some soul-searching pretty quick on policy. If the Democrats run to single-payer, and right. single-payer passes out of the House, and that becomes the Democratic Party's health care platform, right. you're going to have a whole lot of people taking another look at the Republicans on health right. This is the difference between running against something and running for something. Yeah. And, and ownership and not having ownership. Right now, look, when Barack Obama was president and they passed Obama, and Nancy Pelosi was the speaker and they passed Obamacare, is the easiest thing in the world to run against and to throw stones at because they had all the power. And that was the law of the land. Now the Republicans have all the power and they're taking health care away. And that's yeah. the easiest thing in the world to run against. Ownership matters. Power matters, and I think in a lot of ways, the voting that we're going to see in November and the voting we've seen in the it's a reaction to where that power lies today. I I want to I want to close our time here with something that's that's a, both both I think sobering for for all of us, both personally and professionally, but then also has has had some unfortunate general political consequences, and we'll talk about it, which is obviously the, the passing of Senator John McCain, who was a remarkable public servant and, and I think is, is being honored all across the country appropriately and, and magnificently, and, and with the exception, I think, of, of some dynamics and some shenanigans we saw coming from, from the President of the United States, be that as it may. Um, Mark, what do, you, uh, what do you make both of well, let's start with the president's with the president's reaction to to Senator to Senator McCain's McCain's death. Um, do you see any long term political consequences to to either the president or 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 to you know aspects of the Republican Party who who um, who certainly may may view that as 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 quite unsavory. Well, I think the president's misbehavior is very sad, all capital letters sad. Uh, but I don't know that it's going to peel anybody away from him. I'd like to think that there are members of the Republican caucus in the Senate for whom this would be the the final straw, but, but I doubt it. But I doubt it. I I do just want to point out that that McCain's passing, and he was a great American, and maybe his last great act was preventing the repeal of the yeah. Affordable Care Act last summer. But but there is still a chance that with uh, his replacement, they Trump decides to take another run at that. I don't know if McConnell would do it, but. But that, to me, is the the most politically consequential aspect of this, that, that you're going to get another senator in Arizona temporarily, and, and there's right. time between now and the midterms and in the lame duck for that to do a lot of damage. Yeah. I, I have a very different view, yeah. Blake. Yeah. So, first of all, the notion that Trump dissing John McCain would peel off votes is laughable. He got elected president of the United States after calling a guy who was in a was a prisoner of war for five years in Vietnam basically a loser. Yeah. If he wasn't going to have if it wasn't going to have consequences back then, it isn't going to have consequences now. I mean, it, 
you know, I'm a big McCain fan and yeah. it's it's not something that I personally endorse, but let's let's look at the political reality, Mark. The other political reality is Well, I, I think you just agreed with me, so thank you. <laughs> the other political reality is that you're buying the head fake again. Not only is this not gonna take votes away, it's gonna keep votes from going away. What's everybody talking about this week? Yeah. Everybody. Yeah, what everybody is talking just to finish that thought, please. Yeah, oh, sorry, yeah, no, no. Everybody's talking about flags flying at all the way up as opposed to at half staff. Um, what what are people not talking about? They're not talking about Paul Manafort and Michael, Michael Cohen. Cohen. Yep. This is calculated. It's intentional. Yep. It is once again Trump manipulating the media to draw people's attention away from stuff that's bad for him. And this is the same play we saw him run over and over and over and over again. And yet again, it's happening. So this is not, this is calculated. This is not bumbling, is my, my point. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I think that's, that we, to your point, I mean, we've, we've seen him run this play over and over and over again. Um, keeps, Mark, any, yeah, any final keeps, thoughts keeps, about that? He keeps tweeting about uh, the rigged witch hunt. So he, 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 it, every you, Howard, have always ascribed more method to the madness than than I do. I, I think he's mad, uh, as in uh, lunacy, not as in angry. <laughs> and I, I think he's yes, the McCain thing. I think is manipulative. That's part of what makes it so sad. But also, uh, he's, he, he's up at 1 a.m. tweeting about the rigged witch hunt, and, and that's the on, on page two, if not on page one. So, he's his own best ally, and he's his own worst adversary. He's, he's all the above. Yeah, but it is yeah. not, but it is, it may be visceral, but it is not um, accidental. Well, I think that, you know, one one thing we'll see and, and obviously we're now that we're back from back from summer vacation we'll 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 get to unpack a lot of things. One thing we we haven't talked about yet is sort of where the 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 confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court plays and all this. Howard, you touched on um some votes that, that, that certainly seem likely at this juncture and we've that looks like that that will will come together um, before the election. Although the Democrats continue this this stall strategy, there there will be that. I do think the we're, we we do have you know an interesting thing developing with the, sort of the legacy of John McCain, the renaming or not of the Russell Office Building, the sort of sort of race coming back into back into the to the dialogue about about how we you know how we honor um, our political figures which may or may not be a thing but but could be an interesting interesting focal point the front page above the fold of the Washington Post today the president wants to fire Jeff Sessions we've known that but but now it's it's pretty much it's essentially is on the record as as you could have it although he's he's likely to wait till after after the midterms to do that 
um, which which could have could have all sorts of political consequences. Um, and and again, we've got another Paul Manafort trial, and more and more to more and more likely to come in in the investigation, um, and and what that what that may lead to. So lots of stuff lots of stuff still out there, um, and and we'll unpack all that. Um, I certainly want to thank everybody who um, who is listening. Um, we look forward to continued uh, and dynamic discussion. Mark Howard, it is always great. Um, to be with you. Welcome back. And uh, thanks, everybody, again, for listening.